From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on September 15th, 2022, so any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth. Hey, Suzanne. (laughs) And hello to all of you. Welcome to our mad experiment. We are recording this in front of a live studio audience. It is a mad experiment. Do you want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this? I was just going to say, you know, if our audience actually hears this, it means it works. (laughs) That's right. Because so much of what we record never sees the light of day. I don't know why we're doing this. I just thought of all of the podcasts that we have at KMEW, this is the most conducive to having audience feedback, whether it be laughing or clapping or booing or what have you. Well, and the idea is that this is sort of an experiment today, and you guys are guinea pigs, but at some point we want to take the show on the road to, uh, you know, bookstores and other places that readers might be. Yeah, we have a bookstore, a bookseller here that's clapping. <laughs> so that's sort of the idea behind this, and thank you all so much for being here. You, It's above and beyond. Yeah, thank you. And help yourself to the wine that is that you all brought. Plentiful. <laughs> We're recording this. Usually we record this at 8 in the morning, if not earlier. And it's early for us, and uh, we don't have wine then. Well, I don't know what's in your coffee mug. <laughs> no, I do not either. Okay, I, I don't. Okay, so normally we just start right in and talk mm-hmm. about the books that we've read. Is that the way you want to do it? Normally or? we do, but we have some special, exciting announcement today. We just got news a couple weeks ago from the Kansas Association of Broadcasters that Books and Whatnot won first place in special programming. Thank you. Thank you very much. We don't know how many special programs are out there, but (laughs) we'll take it. We'll take it. So thank you to, we'd like to thank the judges and the Kansas Association of Broadcasters and all of our supporters for and making Tom that Shine, happen. And Tom Shine, who believed in us. And entered it <laughs> in the contest. <laughs> or did you enter it? No, Tom did. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Okay. So anyway, that was our exciting news. What have you been reading? Okay. So the first book that I want to talk about is Do the Work, an anti-racist workbook by W. Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz. So W. Kamau Bell is an American stand-up comic and television host. He has hosted CNN's series United Shades of America since 2016. And Kate Schatz is a feminist author, activist, public speaker, and radical history lover. You know, I first became aware of her through her book, Rad American Women, A to Z, and then she has a lot of rad women spinoffs from that. And I visited with W. Kamau Bell in July, and I asked him how he and Kate decided to do this project. And I want to play a little clip of my interview with him. I spoke with him for Marginalia. In 2020, after George Floyd was murdered on TV by the Minneapolis police, and after America had its racial reckoning, and me and Kate were like both watching that happen and realizing we saw those anti-racism books go to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, But we were like, after people read those books, or maybe they don't even read them, they just buy them because they make them feel better, will they be spurred to do the work? And I think we saw a lot of people do things like turn their Instagram squares black for anti-racism, but they weren't doing anything for anti-racism. Or even now, as my friend Jelani Cobb says, people think they're buying Juneteenth ice cream from Walmart is anti-racism work. And so we were like, we see the energy out there. We want to try to harness it in this moment and actually get people to actually know what doing the work to make America anti-racist actually is. So that's W. Kamau Bell, and he and Kate 
shots they put together a, a highlights style workbook. Do you remember highlights I the magazine? Do. It's full of activities with lots of just colorful information for folks just to help people become anti-racist. People of all ages? All ages. I mean, at the very beginning of the book, he says this book is for white people. <laughs> I don't think it's good. Yeah. That was a great interview, by the way. Thank you. Well, that's a good point that he makes, though, about, I mean, anti-racism books going to the top of the bestsellers. I mean, they were all over the bestseller list in that summer. I mean, I usually try and have some type of social justice book going on in my reading routine, kind of just in the background. I mean, as I read other things, as I read novels and stuff. I like this approach because so many of them can get, you want to read them and you you know it's the right thing to do and you want to be a better person, but they can also be very difficult reads. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice to have something a little bit more approachable. Right. This is very accessible and you just you just begin. You yeah. turn to a page and you you begin. I told him I was starting on the page that had all of the books listed because I that's what I do. I, I read books. Mm-hmm. And then I said, but that list even daunts me. What do I do? And he said, just pick one. <laughs> Good. I'm looking forward to sort of exploring it myself. That's a good one. All right. Well, my first book is The Power by Naomi Alderman. So this is kind of a backlist book. It was published in 2017, and it is dystopian fiction. It's been compared to The Handmaid's Tale. So we read this as a selection, and our book club is more like a drinking and travel club now, but we actually chose this book because of the sort of feminist rage (laughs) um, angle of it. Uh, and I think everyone everyone liked it a, a lot. I liked it. It was pretty intense. Have you read this one, Beth? No. Okay, there's some serious triggers here on, on violence and, and things like that. But the premise was pretty fascinating. It was really well executed. It really explores power and gender. So the premise is that women all of a sudden are young girls wake up one day and they have the power to electrify things. They can touch people and cause great pain and can kill them with just a single touch. So all of a sudden, women are empowered with this incredible strength. It really explores what happens to society when those tables are turned and, you know, does power corrupt whomever has it. It is a fantastic book club book. I will tell you, our discussion was really good about, you know, sort of who you sympathized with and, you know, what is legitimate, what is deserved. There are situations in this book where women go after, you know, men who've caused great harm, and there's a lot of sort of revenge scenes and things like that. So it's great for fans of Handmaid's Tale and those types of dystopian fiction. I highly recommend it. That is The Power by Naomi Alderman. I ended up giving it four stars. I know you don't give star ratings. I do not. <laughs> and now I have not read The Handmaid's Tale. I know oh what it's about. Gosh. I've seen the series, but I've not read the book. Oh, wow. That's a goodie. goodie. Margaret Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> that's a goodie. So that's The Power by Naomi Alderman. What's your next book, Beth? My next book is The Last White Man by Mosin Hamid. So um, several years ago, I interviewed Mosin Hamid for his book Exit West, and it's a story about migration but it had some magical realism involved because people would migrate from one country to another, but they would use magic portals. And I remember asking him about it, and he said he just didn't want it. He wanted it to be about, like, where they have come from and where they're going. He didn't want it to be about the journey. So this new book is titled The Last White Man, and once again, he uses magical realism to explore a social issue. The novel begins when one of the main four characters, Anders, he wakes up to find that his skin has turned dark. 
He calls in sick to work. He wears a hoodie and puts his hands in his pocket so people cannot see the color of his skin. And he begins to feel what others with dark skin have felt. And so there are riots, there are fires and protests, and these last until more and more people, their skin starts turning dark. What I found interesting during my conversation with him is that this book was a direct result of his experience after 9-11. He had been living in New York City for years, teaching at a well-respected university, and after 9-11, people started looking at him differently and treating him differently, and he realized that while he is not white, he had lost privileges associated with being white. He had lost this whiteness. He's British Pakistani. In a different interview or essay that I had read before I talked to him, I was struck a bit when he talked about skin color being a social construct. You know, he said skin color is as relevant as blood type. It's just such a thought-provoking read, and I don't want to say too much, but it's a slim little, almost like a fable, parable type thing. You can read it in... An evening, you I know, would think. You can, you can read it. I've read this as well. You can read it in an evening, but you almost don't want to because it's so. You want to sort of give it some time and really think about it. But yeah, I mean, as far as like length, you can. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting writing style. What did you think about the writing style? In this I like one? his writing style. I, other people have complained. I was visiting with a gentleman the other week who said I read it, but I don't want to come to literary feast because I'm going to be the only one who hates it. No, no, he won't. Actually, I didn't hate it. I could not connect with the characters as much as I would in a novel that was written more traditionally. Very interesting. It's written very like a fable, like you're hearing a fable. And I don't know, I just didn't, it, you know, it, 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 there was, it created sort of a distance for me with the characters. So that, that's why I thought it would be a great, it is going to be a great literary feast discussion because, I mean, topically and, you know, I mean, the subject matter, yes, absolutely. I thought it was, you know, well done. But mm -hmm. I just, I did not, I could not connect with that writing style. It was so, I don't know, different. But, you know, he's good. <laughs> You're allowed your opinion. I'm not going to stare you down until you change your mind. <laughs> do you really, really think so? Okay. I just thought it was a fantastic read. I yeah. do love his writing style. I, in fact, one of my professors at Wichita State is in this short story reading group with me, and she said that she teaches Exit West to her class, and she'll give an assignment where they'll randomly select a page number, and then they'll randomly select the number of a word on the page, and the students have to write about why that word is there. And she said, it doesn't work with every author, but it works every time with Mohsen Hammond. Wow. Every single time. He's just, all of the words are just so precise. And hmm. I don't know the French yeah. phrase for just the right word. Je ne sais quoi. No, I know how to spell it. I just don't know how to say it. Anyway, I, I think his writing is like that. Yeah. But this writing is different, though, than the Exit West writing. I don't think so. Yes. Yes, it was. Don't you, you don't think so? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, Exit West was told much more... I don't know, more narratively, I think. And this one was almost, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk more about it. Okay. Um, what did you have next? Okay, so this one is not a normal read for me. So I listened to Thank You for Listening by Julia Whalen. So Julia Whalen is a very famous book narrator. And she has written a book, and then she narrated the audio version of it. The whole experience is very meta. <laughs> it's, you're listening to a book, and oh, and the main character of this book is an audio narrator. So it's like Inception, <laughs> the Inception of romance novels. So first of all, it is a romance book. I do not read many romance books, any 
many. I won't say any, but here's the reason I picked it up. One, Julia Whalen is a fantastic narrator, and she has narrated books that I really, really loved, including The War That Saved My Life. So the premise of this book is this audio narrator goes to a conference in Las Vegas. I'm not going to do any spoilers because I'm anti-spoiler, as you know. But she goes to this conference in Las Vegas, has a very romantic experience with this stranger. Anyway, so then she gets signed on to narrate a romance novel alongside another male audio narrator who is well-known in the romance community. His name is Brock McKnight. (laughs) You just don't get names like that in real life. They're only in romance novels. So what I loved about this, it was super cute. It was exactly what I needed at the time. It was a great summer read. I was listening to it in my car. There were many, many times where I was just laughing out loud because it really, it makes fun of, but also appreciates the romance genre. So all the different tropes that happen and they sort of make fun of that or make reference to it. And you kind of wonder, you know, if this is autobiographical. And she says, oh, one thing I will note about this story is if you, and I I highly recommend the audio for obvious reasons. If you're going to read this book, you should just listen to it. Definitely, definitely listen to the author's note because it has a lot to say about the audio narrator industry, the audio book industry, and how these books, you know, come to life. And it's just very, very interesting. But she definitely says in that author's note that no, it is not autobiographical. There's some (sighs) stuff in there that I drew from experience, but that she got that from her first novel. She kept having people say, oh, you know, is this you? Is this character you? And um, she has to say, no, 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 it's, it's fiction. So, But you can see why people would think that. You're an audio narrator writing about. Anyway, it was a delightful read, and I, you know, eat my words about not enjoying romance. So there you have it. That was Thank You for Listening by Julia Whalen. So my next one is called Mercury Pictures Presents by Anthony Mara. Okay, so you might recognize Anthony Mara as the author of A Constellation of Vital Phenomena. So many of my bookseller friends loved that book. And his new one is titled Mercury Pictures Presents, and it begins in Mussolini's Italy, where one of our main characters is a young girl named Maria. And every Sunday, her father takes her to the cinema instead of church. And she screws up big time, and I'm not exactly going to tell you how, but her father is sent to permanent exile. And eventually, Maria and her mother move to 1940s Los Angeles, where Maria begins working for a production company called Mercury Pictures. The world that they move into is on the cusp of another war. And so this book is classified as period comedy, and Mara is very skilled at making me laugh. In fact, I was telling Haley when I first started reading it, I said, I don't know, it's like he's trying to make me laugh or something. I didn't realize it was supposed to be a comedy. (laughs) Because there were so many serious things involved. He also brings to the forefront so many social issues, you know, roles women were allowed to fill in the workplace, racial representation in acting roles, war propaganda, nationalism, how we treat immigrants during wartime. Mara was able to beautifully balance the serious with the humor. And, you know, he's another one where his writing is just so precise. Mm. So I guess you're going to hate it. No, no. his... <laughs> no, I his, appreciate <laughs> good writing. What are you saying? It's no, just not fables. It's fables. I don't like Okay. All right. Well, this his writing is so precise, and it's quite amazing just to read his work. So that is Mercury Pictures Presents by Anthony Mara. All right. And that's a new one, right? Yes. All of these are new. I've visited with every single author I've talked about so far. Okay, so I'm very excited about my next book, which is Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So Taylor Jenkins Reid is 
best-selling novelist. She wrote um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. She wrote Daisy Jones and the Six, Malibu Rising. She is becoming like an autobi author for me. I think I really, really enjoy her, her books. This one is about a badass female athlete. So it's about Carrie Soto, who comes back from retirement into the tennis world. She was a tennis star. She comes back out of retirement to defend her record of Grand Slam championships. This one I also listened to, and I also highly recommend it. It was an ensemble cast. Really, it explores the double standard in sports with strong females. Things that are praised in male athletes are, you know, sort of punished with females. So basically her agent, when she does return to the tennis circuit, sends her a little audio CD to put in her Walkman because it is set in the 90s, and it's The Bitch is Back. (laughs) So that's like her walk-on song, so you can sort of see where it's going here. But she is such a great character because she's unapologetic. She is completely like... Um, has no patience for um, people who don't want to be the best, who don't want to win. And it's really refreshing because it's so normal for women to apologize for being good, to apologize for being great, or to say, oh, no, no, you're good too. And she's in the locker room going, that sucked. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to beat you. And the uh, the book is sort of interspersed with ESPN commentary. So you hear like these male um, you know, sports, uh, are they real? They were the real commentators that commentate tennis on ESPN. Just given different names in the book. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, see, this is adding so much to my reading experience in retrospect. That makes so much sense because those particular parts of the book are, yeah, almost infuriating. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't know, I don't know, Joe, blah, blah, blah. And they're sort of talking to, to each other and just sort of really insulting her left and right. And it was a great novel. Also, fans of Taylor Jenkins Reid will appreciate the little Easter eggs that she puts in there. She puts in references to her previous novels. As a matter of fact, Carrie Soto herself, the character, was a minor character in Malibu Rising. So that's always kind of fun. Um, so that is Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Okay, so my next read is titled Gold by David Shannon. It's a picture book And I visited with the author-illustrator. His name is David Shannon. And you might recognize him from his David series, which began with No No David. David. (laughs) I love No David. But he has these creepy, like, pointy teeth. That's what I remember about David. Well, what? Okay, so I talked to him about this, his No David series. And he wrote that when he was five years old. What? It was eight pages long. His mom found it. Um, and like she was cleaning out some things and she found it and sent it to him and he's like oh I'm gonna just add a few more pages and he tried to mimic the way he drew it when he was five and tried to mimic the handwriting and then he told me of course now my mom is suing me (laughs) (laughs) which is funny she's not but it was funny and so um, this time he's retelling the King Midas story and he's offering a little parable for young people who might be enamored with, you know, stuff now more than ever. I really love visiting with authors and illustrators of children's books because it doesn't take me very long to read the book, first of all. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> uh, But we spoke about so many things about how he comes up with his ideas. He had filed this one away 20 years ago, and he was just going through a sketchbook and saw it again and thought, oh, that might work. And then we spoke about how you know, his illustration method and how it it has changed because these were done with oils and he used to use acrylic, but these are oils. 
you know, he also illustrates books for other authors. They write the story, he does the illustrations, but he says he really likes to write and illustrate his own book because as an illustrator, if he can't draw something, he can just change the words. He's like, oh, <laughs> we don't need that waterfall, <laughs> so he'll just change the story. Change it to a fountain And or so he's absolutely delightful. So anyway, yes, that's Gold by David Shannon. You know, I, he did tell me that this book was very difficult to paint gold because... You know, you, you have to mix, what is it, like yellow and black and brown to get, and there's a lot of gold in this book. And he said, I didn't really think about that beforehand. Oh, that's it was really difficult to paint gold. Well, and I just, I think this is a good reminder that picture books aren't just for children. I yes. always, just like middle grade is not just for kids either. It's one of my favorite genres. And it's so nice to just go to the children's section of libraries and bookstores and look around and find a book that speaks to you. Agreed. Yeah, that's a, oh. So Gold by David Shannon. So my next book, Beth, is a book I chose because it was short. <laughs> and I'll say that was not a good reason. So it's called The Woman in the Library by Sulari Gentle. The audio book was like going to be, I listened at 1.3 speed, so it was going to be like shorter for me, around seven hours. And I thought, here's a good book. It's seven hours. Let's go with this. <laughs> so, so what happened was... It was a thriller, sort of, but it had so much going on. The premise, I thought, was fantastic. First of all, it started in the Boston Public Library, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. So the premise is this writer. So it's a book about books. That always gets me, too. So she's writing a thriller. She goes to the Boston... I'm not giving anything away. This is the first chapter. <laughs> she goes to the Boston Public Library. She's looking around. She sees characters. She sees sort of interesting-looking people that she thinks would make great characters, and she starts writing about them in her journal. And then there's a scream, and everyone sort of jumps, and it turns out that someone has been killed in the Boston Public Library. And these four people, including the writer become close friends, then try and solve this murder. But it just goes, <laughs> it goes awry because there's also this other subplot where every chapter of the book you're reading or listening to then is alternated with a letter that she gets from a person that she's sending that chapter to like that's critiquing her book and saying, you should do this, you should do that, this character wouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. It got to be like, where am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> and it just was, for me, a little hard to follow, not a lot of reward at the end. I hate bringing books that I didn't really like, but we need to do that, right? Because we should read bad books. Not bad. It just wasn't for me. The book was not for me. How many stars? Two. I gave it two stars. <laughs> Um, it just did, the ending did not, you know, but I, I, I read the whole thing. So automatically, if I, if it keeps me reading to the end, that's two stars to me. If I, uh, if I don't feel like completely giving up, although I did feel like giving up, but anyway, um, to me, it was just, um, there was just too much going on. I just was like, um, it was confusing. There was, you know, too many like little subplots. Maybe I was tired. I don't know. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, but um, yeah, n not not one of my favorites of the month. That was, <laughs> I'm sure the author will be great to read. Glad to hear this. The Woman in the Library by Solari Gentle. Okay. The rest of them are really good, I promise. So my next one is titled Afterlives by Abdul Razak Gurna. 
Okay, so Abdul Razak Gurna is a Tansian-born British novelist and academic. He is known for his novels about the effects of colonialism and the refugee experience and displacement in the world. Gurna is the 2021 winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, and I got to talk to him. This novel, Afterlives, is the first of his books published in the United States because, you know, a Nobel award is given not for a book but for a body of work. And so when he won the prize last year, Riverhead Books thought, oh, well, we should publish him. So they published Afterlives, which had been published a year prior in Europe by Bloomsbury. So in what language? then? English. He He writes in English. Oh, but he just has never been published here? Right. Wow. Okay. Right. The book takes place in Tanzania at the turn of the 20th century. Now, in 1920, Tanzania, you know, it was under British rule. Like for 30 years prior to this point, it was under German rule. And that is when this novel is placed. And so it's multi-generational saga. It's an intersection of lives in Tanzania. And it's really well done. It's very serious. I mean, I was, I was so afraid to talk to him. And I was so afraid my, my questions weren't going to be smart enough. But he was very gracious. He was. And I want to play a clip that happened during... This was part of our interview. A friend of yours just coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is Kat. Her name Hi. is Kat. Okay. <laughs> so that is the Nobel laureate saying hello to my cat. Oh, and I just love that. That is sweet. And I don't even think she tweeted about it yet, but she will. Oh, Kat Golay has her own Twitter account. And Kat Golay looks a lot like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, who is my cat. Yes. So. Oh, that's so cool. So anyway, it's Afterlives by Abdul Razak Gurna. So... Do you love or generally not love big-time award-winning novels <laughs> as a reader, as a general reader? Not someone who's going to interview important people, but like, you know, because you have people who are like, I can't wait to read the Booker Prize long list. And then you have people who... You know, they, they typically hold up. Years ago, it used to be you couldn't go wrong with the Booker. Years ago, you couldn't go wrong with the National Book Award. But now it depends on the judge. And it de- I feel like sometimes they feel like they... They're going against whoever the judges were the year prior, and they're they're like, well, we're going to show them. I, I hate yeah. that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I'm actually in a, a gambling. Pl- <laughs> Great. Tell us yeah. more about that. I had to I had to submit my ten titles, <laughs> my predictions for the National Book Award, which will be announced tomorrow. And I'm, I just said, just tell me where I should Venmo my money because I'm going to lose. I always lose. But for this one. You know, the, the person who was organizing it said, well, here are the judges in case that helps you make up your mind. And it shouldn't. That's what bothers me. Yeah. It shouldn't. It should be the, you know, the, the book should stand up for itself. It shouldn't be, you know, the whim of the judges. Yeah. I always love the, to see the National Book Award nominees. Yes, though. they so come out be, tomorrow. Okay. By the time this episode airs, you will, we will know who yes. the National Book Award nominees are. Um, my next books are just a little category I called Beth Made Me Do It. <laughs> Um, so these are three books I read that w- have been talked about in previous episodes, so I'm not going to belabor the point. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by the wonderful, fabulous, amazing Gabrielle Zevin. Who wrote what? The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, which we mention every time. She is amazing. This book is absolutely incredible. It's about gaming, but it's really about friendship and love, and it's wonderful. Um, the Last White Man I read, which you talked about, so yeah, can't wait to talk more about that lovely Parable Fable, and then Horse by Geraldine Brooks. So I have a little bit left to go here, but I cannot wait because it is a selection for our book club this month 
with my drinking traveling book club. And we're going to talk about horse. And I'm just going to say among Geraldine Brooks's novels, it was not my favorite. I liked it a lot, but I still, I am like, should I not ha- go to book club? No, I'm hosting, so I have to be there. <laughs> <laughs> she says, make the food and then leave. The Year of Wonders, the Black Plague book she wrote, which is high on my list. It just, it was a different style. There was a lot of characters, just a whole lot of characters going on. Maybe, maybe I was really tired this month and I just couldn't really concentrate. So everyone should just take all of my criticisms of all of these books with a grain of salt because obviously I'm sensing a theme here where I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm going to leave it at that, but I read those three. I was well. going to say that she is one of my autobi authors, yes, except I have is. not read A Year of Wonders. <sighs> That's the best one. I loved People of the Book. That was my favorite. And I did not read March for, Mm. you know, she won the Pulitzer for that one. That's right. I don't read Pulitzer Prize winners very much, though. Okay, what's your next one? Okay, so my next one is All the Women in My Brain by Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin is an actress who has starred in Netflix Glow. She was in the movie Gaslit, which I think that was maybe a made-for-TV movie. Was it a CNN movie? She was with Julia Roberts. And she is in the forthcoming series, Three Women, which is based on Lisa Tadeo's book, which has the same name. Which I absolutely loved. Three Women is going to be a movie? Uh, it's a series. Oh, my gosh. I am there. Okay, so now she has a new role, author. And so All the Women in My Brain is a collection of essays that she wrote after she recognized that all of her experiences as a sometimes working actor have been the perfect allegory for being a woman of the world. And I have not seen Betty Gilpin act. Everything I just said to you, I might have like watched a clip or a trailer or something. But she's been interviewed on every late night talk show. And she is just, she's whip smart. She is just delightful. And I, she did not disappoint during my conversation with her because I also meant to tell you, you know, you were talking about the books that you listened to. I listened to this one and she was the narrator. So there were her essays and she read them right into my ear I just, I loved it because she was saying her words to me. You know, to like Betty Gilpin, you have to like metaphor because she she uses metaphor everywhere and she's not going to change her overuse of metaphors. But she was just so lovely and the book was enjoyable and she was enjoyable and she was very gracious. We had to interview her on a Sunday because she was just so busy taping or filming or whatever they do. Whatever they do out there (laughs) Hollywood land. <laughs> I read books. So <laughs> anyway, it was a really nice collection of essays. Crazy, but good. Oh, yeah. that sounds right up my alley. All the Women in My Brain by Betty Gilpin. I do have one more. I had forgotten it. And I don't know how I forgot a bit about this because I really, really, really liked this book and I didn't think I would. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. It's a, a really hot selling celebrity memoir right now. And I'm not a celebrity memoir type at all. Um, I read it completely for the title and the cover. She's smiling on the cover and holding an urn. (laughs) How do you not buy that book? Again, I listened to it. She narrated it. Jeanette McCurdy uh, starred in iCarly. She played Sam Puckett, Carly's um, sort of wisecracking sidekick. You know, this is in the glass castle educated genre of really crappy childhood memoirs, <laughs> which is a, one of my favorite genres, actually. And it's right up there. What I really loved about how she wrote it was, you know, she experienced some stuff. She, you know, Her mother basically was overbearing, narcissistic, you know, basically forced her into acting against her will and 
you know, did calorie restriction on her starting when she was 11. A lot of the celebrity shows are making a big deal of sort of the news out of this memoir. But I think that what readers should know about it is she tells it in a way, and this is what I liked about Glass Castle as well, it's very even-toned. It's not angry. It's really interesting to sort of see her struggling with this woman that she really, really loved. I mean, it was her mother, and she adored her, and she wanted to please her more than anything. And then sort of coming into her own, she's only in her 20s now, and she gave up acting, and now she's started writing, which I hope she does more of, because the writing in this was incredible. It was really, really well done. I highly recommend it. It's I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. I can't get over the title. I know, but it's, you know, because it's really about what do we owe abusive parents, abusive anybody in our lives, you know? Um, I don't know. It's really worth talking about. It it would be a great book club book, actually. Okay. My next one is A History of the World Through Body Parts by Kathy Petras and Ross Petras. Kathy and Ross are a brother and sister team, and they've written many books, and the one that we are most involved with is the book You're Saying It Wrong, which was the impetus for our podcast of the same name. Kathy and Ross discuss language with Fletcher Powell every two weeks, and it is our most listened to podcast, except for the month that we launched Books and Whatnot, because we beat them that one month, and we haven't been back since. But yes, go ahead, round of applause, thank you. Suck it, Fletcher. (laughs) We're going to cut that out. No, we're not. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Okay, so um, Kathy and Ross have a new book, and it's titled A History of the World Through Body Parts. And in it, they follow a timeline, and they look at stories throughout history that have to do with the human body. And so, like, for example, one of their essays is about Cleopatra's nose. And I guess she had a, a... rather long, large nose, and both Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony were obsessed with her. And so the Petruses ask, you know, if her nose weren't so remarkable, would it have changed history? Oh, good question. Good question. So they also look at, um, like, Richard III, who wasn't a hunchback at all, but actually had a mild case of scoliosis. And Kathy and Ross attack history with their same signature humor that we are used to. So this would be good for people. I don't know any people like this. But it would be good for people... Well, let's go ahead and recommend it then. ...who just like to state random facts and impress people with them. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> That's not you. <laughs> no, it's good. I like books like this. So we were barely five minutes in, and I told them that I did not even have to do a core workout that day. They just they have that click-and-clack style where they just talk over each other and laugh all the time. They're linguists, they're curious, and they're just so enjoyable. So that is A History of the World Through Body Parts by Kathy Petrus and Ross Petrus. Yes, I know so many people who would like this. Good gift book. Uh-huh. Good coffee table book. Yeah. Good bathroom. Bathroom book. book. <laughs> Wouldn't every author love that blurb? <laughs> this is a really good bathroom book. Okay, so for my undergrad school, I've read a couple of... <laughs> couple of books. I read uh, Voyage in the Dark by Jean Rhys and a book by Joseph Conrad. And because I was assigned a Jean Rhys book, I picked up, I used to live here once, The Haunted Life of Jean Rhys by Miranda Seymour. And I haven't finished it, but what I've read is very accessible and, and well-written. And I did, just this week, I read a review about this book that Joyce Carol Oates wrote. It's going to be in the September 22nd issue of the New York Review of Books. And it was fascinating to read and, and brought more insight as to, like, the credibility of Miranda Seymour as a biographer as well. So have you read Jean Reese? I have not. 
Wait, has, what did she write? Uh, the, her most famous one is Wide Sargasso Sea. Right, Wide Sargasso Sea. No, I Which is not. like a prequel to Jane Eyre. Yeah. That's nonfiction. I rarely yeah. do that. Although I just no, did yes, like four you do. Of them. Yes, Never mind. you do. Okay, do so a lot of nonfiction. I also just read The Unfolding by A.M. Holmes. Oh, this is on my list for sure. So the last book I read by A.M. Holmes was May We Be Forgiven. It was published in 2012 and it won the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2013. And her newest book is titled The Unfolding, and it follows a character known only as Big Guy. And, you know, we meet him as he mourns John McCain's loss of the 2008 presidential campaign. It focuses on the relationship with his wife and his daughter during this time in which he fears for the future of America. And so... Rightfully so, it turns out. Big Guy taps a group of men, and they liken themselves to the Eisenhower 10. Are you familiar with the Eisenhower 10? No. no. I am not. It, it was a group sounds of... Sounds like a trivia question. It was a group of individuals that Eisenhower selected that were not involved in politics at all. It would be like a doctor and... Oh, right. Like so as advisors, kind of? Like if the world blows up, you 10 are in charge. Oh, fascinating. Right. No, I haven't heard about that. So these guys kind of call themselves this. These men, they have a secret pact plot. You know, they, they, they start using telling each other to use the word freedom instead of power in their rhetoric. Ooh. And um, they talk about starting a coup of sorts that will sweep across this country, largely unnoticed until it's too late. They define misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. They look to the internet as a tool to help their cause. They talk about big data masquerading as free will. And they are all older white men, none of whom have sons. And so they, they saw the end of their lineage and they wanted to save America. Oh, that sounds so great. So That's going to be the next Beth made me do it. I think so. I mean, her writing is amazing. I love her writing. She always chooses a character to tell the story that you're not sure if you're supposed to like him or not. And so I love that. So not really an unreliable narrator, but just an unlikable one. <laughs> but you do like him in a way. No. Oh. So I mean, she just makes you. You know, I like a. You know, I like bad people in books. He I wasn't have, a bad person. To, okay. All right. Well, I'll read it anyway. <laughs> I really <laughs> like good people in books too. It was just. It was a fascinating read. So that's A.M. Holmes, and it's called The Unfolding. Awesome. And then this last one, it's a book that I've I've started, and I'm sad that I don't I don't think I'll be able to finish it because. I don't have a reason to. It's called um, <laughs> Lessons by Ian McEwan. <laughs> I don't have a reason to. You know, yeah. he's probably best known for Atonement. I love Atonement. Which I haven't read. And um, mm. I do love his writing. I, I know I've read Saturday, and I read On Chesil On Beach. On Chesil Beach. And I read Nutshell. And then I looked at his website to see what I've missed. Atonement was his 15th book. Gosh. And Lessons... It was his 25th book. Wow. Right? So if you've never read Ian, Ian McEwen, McEwen I, I do recommend his work. Oh, Atonement was the one. I will say, though, Atonement, one of my favorite novels of all time, but you have to give it like 100 pages. <laughs> I think I gave it 75. Yeah, so it's, it's not something I normally advise people to do is stick it out, but for that one, it was worth it. So you don't think you're going to finish it? Well... Did we have a question? Because I think this will answer that question. Oh, we did have a question. Our friend Carrie is here. And if you could she make submitted your the way... question, but we're going to make her ask it yes. out loud. Yeah. We have a question from the audience. Well, first, I would like to start with a statement. You two are delightful, and I appreciate all the recommendations. But that leads to my question, which is Do you have the same 24 hours in the day as everybody else? <laughs> and if so, what are the tricks and techniques? that you would recommend for getting more books read? 
Okay. First of all, yes, I believe I only have 24 hours in a day, usually. Um, I don't know, Beth, do you want to talk about that first? You said it, what you just said sort right. of related to that. My, my tip for reading so many books is we overschedule our interviews, and I have deadlines to finish the book, and I am not going to interview Ian McEwen, which is probably why I will not have time to finish the book. That's why I'm not reading it. I mean, that is why I'm not going to finish it, because I am not going to talk to him, and I don't have to. But when do you do, so what's your reading routine, though? When do you do a lot of your reading? I'm best in the morning. I can remember what I read. If I read at night, and if I have wine, I have to start over the next day. <laughs> I really like if I can get the audiobook as well. And I, I was going to mention four of the books, I think, that I've read here. I read them and listened to Mercury Pictures Presents, Afterlives, All the Women in My Brain, and The Unfolding. I listened to them as I read. I mean, I can see it, I can hear it, and I can understand it. And if I have to get up and you know walk to get a glass of water, I can still have the author going and I'm not missing much. Whereas if I only listen, I don't retain. And if I only read, my eyes just go buggy. So I do like to do both at once. And, and then I can speed up the um, audio. I'll start them like at 1.3 speed and then they're, they just speak way too slow, and their breaks, they have too many breaks. Like the breaks too between much the sentences are too long. So then I'll speed it up to 1.4 and then 1.5, and I'll probably get up to 1.7. And then when they cannot keep up with my reading, I might just abandon the book and just read after that because I read faster than the audio. That is one of my main tips on audio is don't bump it up to where it's just silly and yes. it sounds like the fine print on the you know car ad. But if you do this gradually, you can really work your way up on audio. And I hear a lot of people also say, I don't know when I would listen to audiobooks. I don't have a long commute, as if that's the only time you can listen to audio. Now, the car is a great place to listen to audiobooks, but housework is another fantastic time to listen to audiobooks. And I listen to audiobooks every morning as I'm getting ready. It's running on a speaker. So that is like an hour of the day devoted to books right there. So... Start at one, bump it up, and, you know, depending on what app you use or what um, service you use, sometimes there's not the little 1.1, 1 .1, 1 1.2. Mm, sometimes mm -hmm. it's only like 1.25. But right. on Libro FM, which benefits independent bookstores, we should say, you have the option to go by tenths. Depending on the narrator, depending on the type of book, you know, just sort of tweak it a little bit, and you'll be surprised. I'm just going to tell you because... Once you are used to listening to it, your brain moves so much faster than the narrator. And if you were reading the book, you would go much faster than the narrator. So when you move up to 1.3 or 1.4, if you bump it back down to normal speed, it sounds like they're underwater or drunk or something. It sounds like they're talking like this. I mean, it's just so weird. So it's really just sort of training your brain to get used to that. But audiobooks aside, so that is one of my tricks for reading a lot. The other is just always having something with you. Yes, there are only 24 hours in the day, but when you think about every time you're in a line waiting for something, when you are meeting someone at a restaurant and they're 20 minutes late, if you have something on your phone or something with you that you can use that time to read, you'd be really, really surprised. Also, I always have several books going at once. I have one that I kind of call my slow and steady read. And right now, um, we are listening, Andy and I are listening to The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. And it is, I don't know, 50 hours or something. It's incredibly long. 
yeah, it's on one point two, so it's going to take us forever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so that's going on, and then I have something on my Kindle, which I can read in the dark and not disturb anyone. And then I have a print book, usually, and an audio book. So that's four right there. I will have usually, like I said, sort of a a nonfiction social justice book and a novel or something like that. You won't confuse yourself. And people who only read one book at a time, you can really get in a rut with that book because then if you don't like it, you don't pick it up and then you're really in that sort of like, do I drop it and move on or do I just power through and hate read this to the end? If you have a couple books going at once, depending on your mood, you can sort of tap into whatever you feel like reading at that moment. So... And it's so funny that you think we read a lot because I, you know, it's like everything's relative, I suppose, because I know people who read hundreds of books a year and you read a lot more than I do. My goal for this year is 52. It's a book a week. It's pretty reasonable, I think, but I'm basically on track. I I feel like that's doable. I read one book at a time. You do? I'm shocked. How is that possible? I have to get through it and then I can go on. I I read whatever I have to do next and then I go on to the next. Oh my gosh. And sometimes like... I'll read a book in a day or a night. And um, I think I have to read three books this week and four books the next. I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm learning so much about you today. I'm so glad we had that question. Yeah. No, that's a, that is a good question. But I think there are like little, you know, sort of tips and tricks that people don't, don't try for whatever reason. That seems like a good place that's, to stop. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. Yeah, we're done. Thanks, guys. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.